Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. ARCHICAD is the official BIM software of the Entree Architect community. ARCHICAD BIM software enables design, collaboration, visualization, and project delivery no matter the project size or complexity. With flexible licensing options and a dedicated support team to guide us along the way, ARCHICAD is an ideal choice for firms and projects of any size. I encourage you to reach out and talk to the folks at Graphisoft by visiting our own dedicated webpage at graphisoft.com slash US slash Entree Architect. There's even an exclusive special offer waiting for our Entree Architect community. Go now to graphisoft.com slash US slash Entree Architect and see how Graphisoft is positioned to help make your architecture firm a success. That's graphisoft.com slash US slash Entree Architect. My name is Mark Arlapage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where each week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. Gloria Cloder, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Thanks so much, Mark. I'm so excited and, and so honored to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to have you here. This is a long time coming. Um, you and I have been talking through the internet for a long time. Um, you've been featured on the blog about your book and you've been on context and clarity with Jeff Eccles and Catherine McPhail. Uh, but I want you, I wanted you to be here on the podcast because I want to talk about the architecture of motherhood, your book. And I want to talk about the subject of architecture of motherhood and, and how, uh, professionals and parents, 
mothers specifically, but parents too, right? Any caregivers can can balance that, right? Can balance the two things. I always call it the firm and the family. How do you balance the firm and the family? How do you how do you make that work? And so, um, you wrote a book about it. So I'd love to have that conversation and learn from you. Um, before we do that, I want to introduce you uh, and then ask your origin story. And so let's uh, let's let people know who you are. Gloria Cloder is an award-winning architect, founder, and CEO of Glow Architects, a keynote speaker and best-selling author. In her book, The Architecture of Motherhood, Gloria shares her incredible journey to becoming a worldwide renowned architect and business owner while being a new mom. Through this book, the reader can learn how women in any industry can find a balance between their professional life and motherhood without having to compromise either role. Gloria is also the co-author of the best-selling book, City Shapers, Stories of Immigrant Designers, a compilation of the journey of 24 successful professionals from all over the world, and actually some of them whom are members of the Entree Architect community are in that book. Um, they're all making a positive impact and paving the way in the United States as architects and leaders in our industry. Gloria has been featured here in the blog, like I mentioned, and on Context and Clarity with Jeff Eccles and, and Catherine McPhail. Gloria, finally, it's great to have you here on the podcast. Great to have you here. Thanks so much. I am excited. All right, let's, let's learn your origin story. I'd love for you to go back as far as you want to go back and, and share when you discovered your passion for architecture and maybe what inspired you to become an architect, who or what inspired you. <clears throat> All right. So I was born in the Dominican Republic, Santo Domingo specifically. I was born and raised there. Um, and I really wasn't one of those kids that always knew what I wanted to be when I grew up. I really didn't have a direct influence on anybody in my family to be an architect. I had um, an, an uncle who studied architecture um, back in the DR, but he immigrated before he finished and he never really um, kind of got his license here or anything like it. And I never really had a contact with him because he left the country when I was very little. So I, I didn't really have, I didn't even understand what he was doing as a career path or whatever. Like I had no influence from him at all, really. Um, so I grew up just kind of like living each day at a time, I, I would say. Um, and um, my parents got divorced when I was five. So I grew up really uh, pretty much with my mom and my sister, my older sister. And we have a lot of limitations financially due to that divorce. And um, I think when I was little, now that I look back into, uh, you know, since that I was doing when I was little, I feel that I had a lot of signs of me having talent and skills for architecture and interior design because I will I remember playing with my dolls and just kind of like creating furniture with like soap bars <laughs> like I will crave them out and create like furniture and when I think about it man that's really a skill for being just a, a small kid you know uh doing that but I never really saw it as like, oh, this is what I'm going to be doing for, you know, for a living or whatever. And and my mom did saw a little bit of me like in arts and uh, painting and um, drawing and poetry and things like that. I was very drawn to that type of art in general, but I just didn't know what I wanted to be. And um, she, she bought me this 
headboard for it was it will fit at the back of my bed and it had a lot of like slots and kind of uh, little spaces I would say different sizes and I remember creating spaces for my dolls that represent like this is the living room and this is the kitchen because we didn't have like the ability to for her to like buy me a real doll house you know like with all the little stuff so I had to kind of like imagine and create them and kind of like make them with my own hands and in my own efforts in a way so I think that's kind of the the scene I can say when I was very little but I grew up just uh you know I was really a good student I, I actually finished school high school uh when I was 15 years old which is kind of unique in the DR because the average age is 18 so everybody was at least two to three years older than me in all of my classes um um the reason was because I started school really early and I was I was really smart I don't know what happened when I grew up but (laughs) but I was really smart when I was little and um just very very uh dedicated to my studies and all that and what happened really how I ended up in architecture is a funny story. So I had a friend, she was my neighbor and we were really close at that time. And she started architecture school before me because she was, uh, she was older than me. And I was still in high school when she started um, college and I will visit her almost every day. Cause we were like, she was living like in the, uh, like right next to us. And um, she will come back from school struggling, just struggling so bad with anything related to design. Most of the other classes that are basic that you take like, you know, that first year about math or philosophy, whatever. Yeah, She was doing great, but anything that was related to design itself, like uh, like what you guys call here studio, uh, it was just really hard on her. And I remember when she, will, she was coming with those assignments and, and homework, I was always so fascinated by it. And in my head, I was like solving these problems and saying, oh my gosh, you can do this, you can do that, and blah, 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 blah. And she was always like, oh, this is so stupid. This is so boring. I can't stand it. And this this teacher wants me to imagine this concept. Like, what is he talking about? Like, she just didn't yeah. like it. Uh, and I think she was more of a, more of a, a thinker, but like in the, like not in the art part. Like she didn't like the art part of it, I, I guess. Um, so she ended up switching careers at some point, uh, thankfully early in, in the process, not too late. And she became a really, really well-known, um, uh, like children's, uh, psychiatrist or like a doctor. Yeah. Um, very well known right now on it. Um, or psychologist, I think is the real term, but, uh, but I, through her experience, I said, oh, maybe this is something I I can do. Let's, you know, let's see how it goes. And it was a hard decision because it's a, I'm imagine it's the same here, but in the DR is a very expensive career to study. Like your parents really invest a lot of money on models, materials and all that and printing plants and whatever. And um, my mom was always like, are you sure this is what you want to do? This is a very expensive career. Um, but I really wanted to give it a try. So what I did was I started uh, working right away, uh, full-time jobs, not not like part-time or like internship or whatever. Like I was, it was really hard uh, because I had to um, 
work at the same time. So while my cool students and friends were taking six, seven classes, this many credits at a time, I usually was taking half of that. Is I couldn't handle more having a full-time job. But the good thing was I, uh, one of my first jobs I got, it was not the first, but one of the first ones I got was actually in an architecture firm. And I started in that one, um, and I stayed there like about eight years until I finished everything. And, and then I did my master's and all that. And uh, when I came out of school, I had already so much experience in the real world, which I feel that some of my friends didn't have that advantage because it's not as here in the DR that is very common that in summer, Students are really encouraged to take, um, uh, you know, like uh, summer classes, but like take internships to get to gain experience. Experience that's not really, it's not really a scene in VR, you know. Uh, some some people actually rather just like study, 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 and finish and be done, and then kind of going on the field and whatever. How, how did you how did you make the connection to get that internship? So that's a funny story. So what happened was uh, there was a class where um, the teacher will ask for us to report an amount of hours to pass the class of experience in a construction site. And I did this when I was taking the class, I found, you know, they recommended several people they knew that we could call. And it was just a way to give us a small little internship for the class only. Uh, I remember it was like a man of like 20 hours or it wasn't that much. Um, but I was really fascinated by the field part. Um, so I stayed a little longer when I completed my hours asking the the main uh, GC to kind of, you know, you don't, I just, I just kind of want to be around whenever it is possible. And I was just kind of learning and all that. And then my friend was taking that same class with that same teacher the semester after so I tried to call the GC and say, hey, do you still have that job going on? I have this older friend that needs to complete those hours too. Will you give her a chance? And he said, well, no, that's done. And I'm also not being able to build right now because I just got a really high position in this uh, ministry of um, what will be housing here? This uh, Instituto Nacional de la Vivienda It's kind of like, uh, yeah, you kind of build, it's like a residential projects, but like kind of like big scale urban projects and all Is that. Is it kind of private stuff. or, or the government? It's, it's kind of like a mix of both. It's real. it's related with the, it is involved heavily with government, but it's kind of private at the same time. So it's kind yeah. of like a mix. Um, and, and he got that position and, and then he said, but Hey, we're looking for you know, young, young people to work. Like, uh, do you want to like submit your resume? And I said, oh yeah. And I had a job at that moment uh, with another architect, but it was like more like an art gallery and stuff. And this was a great opportunity because it was in a real, you know, architecture office. And, um, and I got the job. I got the interviews and went through the whole process and I got the job and, that was my job for eight years. And it's just so funny that I just fell for something else. And then, you know, I got that opportunity, but it 
it changed my life. Those people became my best friends. Like they went to my wedding. Like it was just a really great relationship. When I left, when I left the office because I was decided to start my company back there, um, I, you know, it was kind of hard, like this bittersweet, like, oh, I got, I love you guys, yeah. but I kind of, I, I need to move on. And, uh, but that's how I got that job. And it just, man, like I, cause they were integrated. They had a full separate department of engineering, which they had NEP, structural, everything. And I remember I could, even with assignments from school and when I was working on my thesis, I was able to just walk to that department and say, sitting with the structural guide and say, I don't, I don't know how to solve this. Like how, like, where is, like, where can I find information about this? Like, can you help me out? And it was, it was great. It was like my other little school. So, but again, by the time I graduated, I, I already had so much experience on my plate that it's insane to think about it. And when did you start your, cause you started your own practice in Dominican Republic, right? Yes. Uh, I started it a little bit parallel with when I was still in this job. And what happened was I got the opportunity to do a certain type of projects. And I talked with my boss at the moment and I said, Hey, I was offered these. Can we take on it? And they were like, no, like you can do that in your own time, but we we just can't do it because they were focused on this specific type of project. So they yeah. let me just do my scene. Uh, the problem was it got to a point where I was getting really busy with scenes on my side and I realized I was making more money, <laughs> <laughs> way more money going on my own. And I felt confident enough. I feel like I didn't really, you know, I, I didn't need to wait because I just, I was handling really big projects already in my current job. I feel really confident and I had a really great network of people. I was not um liability in the DR is just a little bit less on how how since work here. It's easier to work around and to talk to people when any, you know, these disputes come up. And I feel that I was least fearful of anything going wrong because I always feel like, well, but I know all these engineers, I know all these GCs, I know all these other architects, I know people like, and I had a lot of experience on the field too, on how things are built and done back in the DR. So I felt confident, like if I needed somebody to come and install a flooring and I, I knew the guys to call and, you know, like it just, it was, it was, it was good. It was good for me. So I started pretty much 2009. And I left that job 2011. So I I was kind of parallel for two years. And then 2011 is when I like uh, took off and, and stopped working with them. So it sounds like you built a pretty successful business in the DR. What 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 happened? What, how did you end up coming to the United States and starting it's, all over? So um, I, I would like to talk a little bit of the success in the DR. So what happened was... And, and the reason was was hard coming here uh, in, in that matter was because I was really building up my my name, my brand, my, you know, my company. And and again, everything just happened kind of like a chance, like a, it was like a God scene because around 2010, uh, right in the middle of those two years, I got an offer of building, not designing, building. Uh, kind of being the GC for this tenant improvement job, which was uh, the first Steve Madden 
uh, retail store in a big, big mall that was Steve, open. Steve Madden. The, Steve Madden, yeah. And it was clothing the and shoes. Is that... The shoes designer, yes. Yeah. And it was the first time they were coming to the DR. It was a big deal. And this mall was new. Uh, they There was a lot of other stores being built at the same time. And uh, they already had the design from someone from, I believe it was an architect from Venezuela that sent the design. And we were only going to do renders for them so they could see it and build it. And we had a deadline, pretty strict uh, uh, street deadline for it because they will be penalized per day that they were late. So it was very important to be on time. And then we made the renders based on the design they sent. And then they were like, oh my gosh, this is not what we were thinking. Like, we don't, we don't like this. <laughs> Um, and I was like, okay, what, what do we do? I mean, yeah, because now you we have were, a deadline. We were two weeks out of having to literally break, like start. And they were like, can you give us something else <laughs> in two weeks? And I'm like, what? And we negotiated a price and they said, yes. And I didn't sleep for two weeks because I was, you know, I was um, ambitious and I thought it was a great opportunity. I was saying, oh my gosh, I can do the first Steve Madden in the DR and say it was my design. And I I jumped into it with open arms and I took, I had to take uh, days off from my job because I couldn't be doing it part-time. I really needed to do like full-time on this. Uh, again, was one of those signs of like, okay, Gloria, maybe you need to just step out of this and just focus on that. Um and I, I got it. I got the design uh, based on a concept that we talked. I had one meeting with the clients and they told me what they like and what they were looking and what was the target audience. And they, when I presented my renders and my floor plans and elevations, they were like, oh, this is great. This is what we want. And um, we were kind of parallel getting the premise with the committee that needed to approve the design. But we were we were able to start building while doing that process. It was kind of like a fast tracking process. Um, and we were done on time. They were not penalized. We opened on time. And that one store got featured in a big uh, architectural journal magazine. It's they, they are like the biggest architectural. Like if, if you want to know anything, they, they are like the ones they are called architects though. And they called me and said, we want to feature your store. And uh, it got feature on it, and that just skyrocketed my career from that. Like I got so many other retail stores in that mall and other malls, um, and just like a lot of people just calling and saying, "Hey, I got so and so told me about you, and can you work with us?" And um, and then I, you know, I I I just thought I was, you know, just on track of kind of like getting all my dreams professional yeah, career. Yeah, it sounded like it was the yeah. perfect setup. No, I was just young and, you know, energetic and all that. And then, uh, and I was on my own. And I was at the same time, I got an offer of teaching in this art school uh, that is very well known to in the DR culture. So I was doing that besides my normal business, teaching uh, architectural design, drafting uh, those two classes. And... And then I met Jeremy. That was a problem. Uh -huh. <laughs> Jeremy Clutter. Um, it's funny because um, I actually mentioned this in uh, part of my book is 2009. I didn't even have a, I didn't even have a, a tourist visa to travel to the United States. I, I did got one after and I came a couple of times for vacations. 
after that, but in 2019, I didn't have one. And um, I, I, I was still like, I was about to finish school because I graduated that year. And I went to someone's house to look for these books and his aunt came out and started talking to me about like, she had a vision for me. It's just, it's funny because I didn't believe in any of it. Like I was not, I, it's just a weird story, but she came like, I have this word for it. I'm talking 2009, right? Um, no visa, no nothing, just a student girl. Uh, and she says, oh, I see you getting married with this guy. He's, he's, his skin is really white and he's tall and he's wearing a military uniform is what she said. I'm like, I don't, I don't know any military guy we're talking about. And, I, and she's like, yeah, and I see you traveling. So she's seeing your future. Yeah. She's telling me this stuff. And I'm like, this is so stupid. Like, what yeah. are you talking about? In like, 2009. What? Yeah. 2009. And, um, and she told me something about traveling and I'm like, I don't even have a visa. Like, it's just like, yeah, yeah. I, you're I crazy. Just, I, <laughs> this is yeah, you're crazy. Right? And I left the house just kind of laughing, like, what? Whatever. And I forgot about it. Oh, and then she said, "This is this is the funny part." She said, "Yeah, you're gonna have a girl with him. You're gonna marry it and have a girl with him." And I'm like, okay, fine, whatever. So that was that, and you know, I graduated in my career, and I forgot. Like, I didn't. I wasn't really a great friend of this person. I just went for these books, and like, I never of her ever i forgot forgot completely forgot about yeah. it yeah uh, so fast forward 2013 i meet jeremy and jeremy um uh, jeremy ended up being a marine of the united states <laughs> he's tall and white i know that but i still i mean 2013 i i met him and i still didn't think of this lady at all right. like it was yeah. not in my mind i didn't remember i nothing and uh how did you meet jeremy it was in a club. <laughs> um, in, the, we, at, we, in the DR. In the Dominican Republic. He was stationed in the U.S. Embassy in Haiti. And he came first time he came to the DR to visit. Uh, we met because we have a friend that came from New York. Uh, he was getting engaged around that time. And we were like celebrating him and all that. And we went out a big group of like almost 20 people. And... Norman is his name. I always said he's the godfather of our relationship because <laughs> usually the Mekans are pretty jealous with their friends. They don't like strangers coming into the group when you're out, you know. Uh, but he was all about love because he was just getting engaged and whatever. And I was coming out of the bathroom and Norman was waiting for the group in the hallway. And Jeremy was waiting for this other Marine friend in the hallway. And Jeremy looked at me like, whoa. And Norman said, well, She's single, you know, if you want to stay with us, we have this little VIP <laughs> area. Yeah. And Jeremy's friend was about to leave, which is really the one who was familiar with the DR. And he's like, you don't know Spanish. You don't know these people. You're not staying. Are you crazy? And he's like, I'm a Marine. What are you talking about? I'm not afraid of blah, blah, blah. So he ended up staying and we, we got to like, you know, kind of start talking after that. And not too long after he came back and we kind of kept talking and talking and a couple of months after he invited me to meet his family here and that's when I knew it was serious and we just you know we just kind of knew and we got married 2015 and we're still we're still here just wow yeah and the funny part is uh you know I came in 2015 and I we delayed having kids because I really wanted to get the license and all that which we probably will touch base on, on that part but one part I want to say it is 
when I got pregnant, finally in 2019, I was talking with a good friend from DR. Her name is Margaret. And Margaret said, oh my gosh, Gloria, can you imagine if you have a girl? Maybe that lady had something. <laughs> and that's when I remember. You're like, what lady? What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh my gosh, I completely forgot about this lady. And it's like, he, I don't know if you've seen my wedding pictures, but he got married with the military, yeah. like the blues and marine blues and all that. I've and seen I'm you like, post them. That is just so crazy that it actually happened. Uh, so when we had the gender reveal and the whole pink smoke of, of uh, like color came out, I was like, gosh, I should go back to the lady and apologize because I just really <laughs> thought she was like a wacko or something, but she really was onto something. So that's my story with Jeremy. That's um, amazing. So, yeah. so, so 2015, you get married, you move to the United States, and w is it easy to sort of just transfer you, all your credentials over to the United States and start oh, practicing? No. I think that was the hardest part, not only doing it, but even understanding how to do it. And this, this is one of the reasons I've become so passionate on helping immigrants and, yeah. and foreign architects, because I went through so much because it just felt that nobody around me knew anything about it. And this is the main problem that a lot of people face is they come to the to the States and their people, their family and friends are not in the architectural industry and they don't know how to help them. So a lot of people I know even give up for years on their career because everybody around them don't know anything and they try to call places or they go to their own institution on you know uh to kind of find out like oh if i want to practice or this or that and a lot of people don't realize that they can call themselves architects so they go to try to approach companies and say hey i'm an architect from here and i want to apply to this architect job right and then the companies are like well you're not an architect i can't hire you for that and like they don't it doesn't register to them like what are you talking about i am an architect but you know but you're but i'm not so to me, it was really hard to understand that. And um, I thought when me and Jeremy decided to get married, the plan was I was going to just transfer my business, which was very successful in the DR. And I said, why Why I wouldn't just continue back in, you know, I can open a business there. And again, I wasn't afraid because I didn't know as much. I didn't know what I didn't know. I didn't understand the liability here, how things work. And in my head, I was just going to open the business while he will transfer his career because he didn't want to be in the Marines anymore. He was ready to step out and uh, retired on that and just kind of like started a business in real estate is what he wanted to do. So I said, I got you, babe. I'm going to do my business. And when you are, you know, when you're set up, then we you just kind of go from there. And then I came here and reality, a reality check just hit me so bad because it wasn't just, it was so many things. Like first I came and I had a tourist visa. So I couldn't work until the the real, what they call green card or resident visa was issued, which took about eight to about eight to 10 months to come out. Wow. So I couldn't work. I had the right to be here vacationing, but not right. working. So I made zero money all that time. We were just using our savings. And he was changing careers. Just imagine a new realtor who has been out of the country for years, has no connections anymore because all of his friends were Marines who were overseas. 
And man, I think in between those months, he sold like maybe one house or two and that was it. And it was just really hard. And the process of the paperwork and all that was just so extensive. And anyhow, um, finally, I got my green card. I start working right away in a small, with a small little, uh, like a, it was like a home developer, um, gave me the chance to start working with them. And uh, I realized pretty quickly that that was not the place for me to be because they didn't have an architect in-house. And when I realized, I started learning of the process of getting my license is when, um, when I, you know, I understood like I needed to be under a licensed architect here because I, I had this specific requirement of hours under them and all that. So and did you, did you have to start all over again as if you were the same as a student coming out of, out of university? Almost. Um, there was a mistake I made in the process, which was uh, there is this foreign architect path that is available now. It hasn't been forever. It's kind of a newer scene. Yeah. It has been for a couple of years now, but it's not it's not something that was there 10 years ago is what I'm trying to say. But when I came to the States, it was just starting. And um, I didn't understand that in that NCARB record tab where it says registrations, what they meant was my license. So I never really put information about it there because I didn't understand what registration means. It's like, oh, you're registering, registering for something. Like I don't, I didn't understand right. what that was. Um, and I was starting the process as the standard pass of like ed evaluating on my education and da 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 da. So you started from the beginning, but you didn't necessarily have to just no. because you you misunderstood the process. Yeah, and I think one of the things that I've learned too is this foreign architect pass is not. Um, accepted by every single state in the United States, but like most of the states do accept it. It's only like about five that has certain extra uh, requirements or or whatever. Um, but uh, when I was talking with someone in Incarp on the phone and I mentioned, yeah, because I have my license in the yard, we're like, oh, have you thought of applying to the foreign architect path? And I was already so deep into the other path. Like I completely... Um, I completely have a uh, the ease evaluation done. The one thing with the foreign architect pass was that I was so deep into the standard path and I paid for the whole ease evaluation and the results came back and I needed to take classes. I came with a deficiency of six credits. Uh, three was for English, three for codes and regulations. In the course of regulations, I needed to take uh, in a specific, not a specific college, but it needed to be like master's degree. So they could accept my master's too, not just my bachelor's, which is something I wanted. And it was a lot of money. Like just the class was like $3,000 and you needed to take the full semester or whatever. And then time, you know, you keep thinking of time too. Right. Uh, time is money. And, you know, going back to school for that, it was just kind of hard on me. And just translating all the documentation, Mark, like the cheapest uh, quote I got for translating the paperwork was like $10,000 because the book was huge. It was like wow. 400 something pages. And people don't understand that. Like you're just an immigrant that came a year or two ago and it's not easy to have $10,000 from nowhere when you're like struggling to even get a job. Um. So then, you know, anchor people tell me about the foreign architect path and I applied to it. I put my credentials from the DR, my license number, <coughs> sorry, 
my license number and um and then everything changed i didn't have to go through the isa uh it was not required with this pass um the other thing was that they will accept my uh, experience from the VR differently too, because when you report hours that are older than six to eight months, they kind of cut those in half. And when you're in the foreign architect path, because they're considered a foreign architect, not a foreign emerging professional, they accepted 100%. So my hours were cut half, but when I passed to this new, uh, changed to this new path, then they were 100. So it can, it really saved me time and money yeah. because I didn't have to go to school. I didn't have to do all these extra hours, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, long story short, I did the path and suddenly everything was approved and they were like, okay, you're ready to take the exams. Take the air east and i wasn't prepared i was thinking the areas were going to come like a year from from there or two because i needed to complete the axp and all that and um i wasn't prepared i took i started talking with people around me trying to find out information of how to study for the air east again nobody knew anything the most i got was somebody telling me to study ballast and um, that's what i did and i took the first exam i started in the uh 4.0 system yeah and i think i took cds first and then somehow i passed it <laughs> on the first try and i thought oh my gosh this is not that hard even so i got out of the exam kind of thinking like oh my gosh what is what was that like i i was so confused after the exam and i still managed to pass it and i think it was the worst thing that actually happened to me because I, I think I got overconfident. Mm -hmm. I, I felt like, you know, it was hard, but I still pass it. So how hard can the other ones be, you know? And then I took the second exam, which was PPP, and I failed. And then I took the third exam, which was SPD, still in 4.0, and I failed. And I went back to PPP, and I studied so, so, so hard. And I, I failed again. And I, it's three exams fail or three attempts of failing and, and and then failing and just like I just didn't know I felt like I was in this wheel like I I'm like I, I'm just studying the same and then I got and I see questions that I don't know where these questions are coming from like I don't know what I'm doing and then I found Michael Risica which all we all know young youngarchitect.com yes and he was my savior in this process <laughs> Oh my gosh, I owe so much to him. Um, I remember I called him or I text him on, I think it was on Instagram and he's like, I'm about to take this flight, but just call me real quick before we, we fly out. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And I talked with him for like 10 minutes. He gave me a lot of information about the area bootcamp and I was completely sold. And I started the area bootcamp with, with Young Architect and uh, it really gave me a lot of a structure and just so much help on how to study for these exams and and that's what really get me through the finish line it was that group because um i just met so many wonderful people the system inside of just having other people it really increased my network it helped me to meet others that were in the same situation that i was and it really helped me understand better 
because I wasn't limited to my family and friends anymore, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So you have have people now who understand what you're going through and help and and know ways to get through those processes. Um, Mike has built a fantastic community over there, just, you know, beyond the training and the support, but the community, even after people have passed the AREs, um, stick around and and the uh, thriving community. Mike has done a great job. Yeah, and everybody is so supportive and positive inside of the community too, which is very important. Let's take a quick break to say thank you to our sponsors for their support of this episode. This episode is brought to you by FreshBooks. There's a lot to love about being an entrepreneur architect, right? But trying to figure out our financials on our own is not one of those things. Luckily, we have FreshBooks, the all-in-one accounting solution that's built for business owners like us. FreshBooks takes all the not-so-fun parts of running a business, from building and tracking invoices, to managing online payments, to organizing expenses, and automates them with features like the digital bills and a receipt scanner, saving you up to 11 hours a week in the process. It's also super easy to get up and running and the award-winning FreshBooks support team, they are always available to answer any questions along the way. Compare that to some of the other financial management tools out there. Try FreshBooks for free for 30 days, no credit card required. Go to freshbooks.com slash architect to get started today. That's freshbooks.com slash architect. So what will you do with 11 more hours each week? This episode is brought to you by rcat.com. We all have that one story, that one project that had such a unique situation that it required a solution that you had rarely considered before. We share these stories in private professional circles with our friends and our colleagues, but there has never been a collection of these stories of conflict and triumph all in one place until now. Detailed is a podcast series that features architects, engineers, builders, and manufacturers who share their insights and expertise as they highlight some of the most complex, interesting, and oddball building conditions that they have ever encountered, and the ingenuity it took to solve them. Join host Sharice Lakeside, aka CSI Kraken, a senior specifications writer at RDH Building Science as she uncovers lessons learned to help you navigate similar challenges that may arise in your next project. Detailed, an original podcast by Artcat. Listen and subscribe right now at artcat.com slash podcast. That's artcat.com slash podcast. A-R-C-A-T dot com slash podcast. Detailed, every building has a story. Please visit our sponsors today and thank them. Thank them for supporting you the Entree Architect community. So you, so you get your license. How did you start your practice right away once you have the license? Uh, I So when I left that job uh, in 2016 the, with the builder, I got a job in an architecture firm um, in 2016. And, um, and I was with them until 2020. I got my license in 2019, so one year before that, and I was comfortable 
they were good to work with. They did a lot of health healthcare and uh, assisted living facilities. And um, I just learned a lot from them because that was a different type of project of what I was used to even back in the DR. And, um, but 2019 is when I got pregnant and then early 2020 COVID hit and everything was locked down and, you know, you were working from home and all that. And when I delivered my baby in June, you know, and I was in the process of getting ready for, uh, you know, the maternity leave and all that, um, I was trying to negotiate with them coming back somehow still virtual or like half time virtual or something because with the whole pandemic situation, all of our plans changed. We were not able to get Nova in a, a daycare like we were thinking. And um, it was just kind of hard to figure out what to do, you know. And they said no. They wanted me to go back full time uh, because there were certain situations happening uh, inside of the company that they just kind of needed me there in person since we're back to open at that point and all that. And it just wouldn't work for me because we didn't have a like an option, a good option at least at the time with, with Nova. And Jeremy was the one who sat with me and said, you know, maybe this is this is the last push you need. Like, like you have your license already. You've been working for four years. Um, I know since are different here, you know, there's a lot of more liability and sense to to understand when you're opening a business, but would you consider that so you can manage your time and, you know, and I kind of thought about it a lot because it was scary because he had his own business. So I was like the stable income and, and, you know, and he was an entrepreneur, but his business at this point was uh, just really doing so well. Like uh, a lot of things changed between those years because Jeremy switched from just being a realtor agent to being a broker and he started a brokerage and then from that brokerage he started another business that is under the same umbrella that is a property management and then with the partners that he has with with these two businesses he started a, a fund where he investors put money and there's just a lot of different type of businesses working at the same time and he was you know being very successful on it like he has the brokerage alone is over 100 agents. I don't know where they are right now. The property management, he's managing about like 300, 400 doors. It's just crazy how much the, the business has grown. And he was like, you know, I know it's nice having the nice insurance and the, you know, from the big company and, uh, and the stability, but, you know, maybe we can pull this off. And uh, one of the things was, I remember there was a, a, young architect um conference back in 2019 that we both attend and one of the presentations i actually spoke on that one i i made a, a speaking presentation for it but one of the presentations that someone else did was saying what is when when you're trying to take a risk when you're trying to do something new that you're afraid of and and, and like how do you approach that and she said um one of the things she does is she kind of asks herself, like, what is the worst? 
What is the worst that can happen? And if that happens, how will you handle it? And if you can handle it, if you have a plan for the worst scenario, then it's okay. Like you can do this. And when he he asked me this based on that conference, right? Because we just went there. It was 2019 and we're talking about a, around June or so of, of 2020, a little bit after June. Uh, he says, well, what is the worst that can happen? And I said, well, you know, that it doesn't work. And then I feel like so humiliated and then I have to get another job back. And he's like, well, and how bad it is just having to go back to a job. It's like, you've been doing it for four years and it wasn't that bad. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I guess. <laughs> so that was it. I was like, okay, if the worst that can happen is that I have to just go back and get a job, then it's fine. Uh, I know now that that's not the worst that can happen. I can get sued and, <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. But I don't think I wasn't really thinking of that. I was more thinking of the failure part, you know, of not being able to pull it off and, and kind of uh, make it work. And um, I am very thankful that the business has been actually pretty successful uh, on my terms. And, and what I was expecting is where we are at and, and it's growing and um and it's just, it, it, it hasn't stopped. As soon as I told people, I have a friend that told me, you know, when you, uh, she started her business too, but she's an interior designer. And she said, um, you know, when you start a business here at Bliss in Tampa, she said, just be ready to tell people that uh, you're going to be on your own and be prepared for them to throw business at you because there's so much going on here. It's so much that people are throwing business away because of how much is happening in the market. And she said, just be mentally ready for that. When you tell people you are going on your own, they're going to send business to you. And that's exactly what happened. Like I've been, now that I'm pregnant again, uh, I've been like turning away businesses because I just can, you know, I just, I just can't take in everything and I'm kind of getting ready for delivering in December and, you know, I just need to slow down and kind of have a, a way to manage the, the workload that we have with the team that we have without me getting overstressed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So when, when did the first baby come? She was born in June 15 of 2020. That was Nova. And that was after, after you started the new firm? No. Before. I started a new firm about uh, three to four months after she was born. Okay. Because when we were trying to negotiate the maternity leave, during the maternity leave right. to, to come back part-time, they said no. And and that's when I was like, okay, well, I just need to make what's best for my family. And me. And so what was the inspiration for the book? So several things. <laughs> um, as I told you, I delayed having kids for a long time, uh, especially because I wanted to get the license first. And I thought, oh, there's no way I can pull this off. Um, well, well, having kids, I need to kind of do it first. It's gonna, it's gonna slow me down. I was very ambitious. And I was just so afraid of, of not being able to be a successful architect because I, I felt I was a successful architect in the DR. And I wanted to be a successful architect here or whatever I am. I This is something that even so... I didn't have architecture as my career uh, option when I was little. When I discovered it, I became very passionate about it. I did yeah. have a lot of passion, hidden passion that I didn't know of inside of me. Um, mm -hmm. And 
this became my life in a way for so many years. Um, I just, it was hard for me to resign to it. Even when I came to the States, one of the hardest scenes that I experienced was not being, not being able to present myself as, hi, I'm Gloria Clotter. I am an architect. The thought of me not being able to say I am an architect hurt my ego so bad. Yeah. And, and it just like, you, you have to think about, uh, this might happen to a lot of people, but it had a very deep meaning to me calling myself an architect because if you think about in my situation this is something I work very hard for it we all work very hard for it this is not an easy career in no meaning for anybody but in my particular case I had to work since the beginning to pay for it I had to work really hard to get where I was and coming to a different country because I fell in love and then not being able to call myself an architect and maybe having to just do another type of job. It just didn't feel like an option to me. Like I just called in like, no. And, um, and then, you know, I, I realized in the process of, you know, when I finally got the license and I finally said, okay, we're ready to start having kids in 2019 that when I got pregnant and then when I had the baby um, and when, you know, when, when I started the business and, and then I was like, okay, what I'm going to do now? Cause it was before the studying and all that. And now it's building a business, building a business alone is very demanding. It's a, it's, it's, it's having a child alone. It's like right. this, this brain child that you're trying to build up. Uh, and it, it takes a lot of time and effort from you. And, and I felt, Oh my gosh, like I could, I feel that if I will have known some of the things I learned in my process, especially that first year or two, I, I will have started having kids earlier. And there is a lot of things that I experienced as, uh, because I'm over 35 years old that I could have avoided if I will have started kids earlier, if I will have understand some of the tools that now I know that I was so afraid of before. Uh, and now I'm like, oh my gosh, if I if I will have just known this before, maybe things will have been a little bit different. Maybe I will have found a way to balance this before right. instead of delaying, delaying, delaying. So you're so you're an advocate of not waiting that that yeah. that you can do both. Don't wait to do your profession first and then have kids because it's never going to be a good time. Yeah. Right? And all you're doing is waiting, right? And so yeah. you're just waiting on the on the children. So so if you're if you're advocating for families to start earlier, not wait, and continue uh, pursuing your profession, how do you do that? How do you balance the two and make sure that both of them are successful? first part that and I talk about this in my book is one is realizing that I think the biggest fear most of us experience when thinking about this topic is thinking that you kind of have to do everything on your own that it's all on you that it's all on you and that you know you have 24 hours a day and how, how are you gonna work eight hours a day and and still have time for your kids and all that kind of stuff and one of the things, one of the biggest lessons I've learned is that you really don't have to do it alone. And that's one of the things that I've become more passionate about with motherhood and architecture is I keep comparing them because I feel like if there's something I've learned from architecture itself is how we are interconnected with other 
others to make it work. We just never ever design a building on our own. It just it's not real. Like you always depend on other experts for something, either structural or MEP or civil or you know I, I know there's a lot of architects that get to do a lot of those trades of especially for residential projects but like you know maybe maybe not in the design part but like building it you have to work with the gc and you have to work with the officials and the uh you know the agents having jurisdiction and work with them and work with the city and work with the clients and understanding what they want and understand what's in the market and your reps understanding pricing and you know installation techniques and how you're specifying everything it's just so much we don't do it alone and that same applies with parenthood i'm not even going to say just motherhood parenthood like you really need to build up your support system and count on them and understand how you can kind of spread that load uh to make it work and that looks very different for everybody. Uh, you know, in my case, we were very lucky um, to have Jeremy's mom, which uh, she she used to have a business of pet sitting that just went down uh, with the pandemic because everybody was at home and nobody was traveling. And she was trying to figure out what to do because her business was going down and we were looking for an option of someone helping with Nova. And we said, well, what about if we pay you to watch your granddaughter? And she was like, oh, yeah, I can't do that. <laughs> Bonus. <laughs> yeah. And it worked because it was hard to get, again, in those days, it was just hard to get into a daycare, which which is the option that a lot of people take, which there's nothing wrong with it. Uh, it just was uh, more economical and more personal. Uh, and with everything going on, we just felt like it was better to just have nobody at home on those days because... You know, they care. Kids just get sick in normal times. <laughs> uh, so it was more scary to have her in a daycare at that time uh, to kind of make the decision of having her around older kids. But uh, that worked for us. But we we have different options. It's not just her, uh, how we make it work. Um, but I feel like building your support system is the first step. Understanding who who around you or what systems, what institutions you can count on to make it work. Starting from there is the first step. Like, okay, who's going to do what? Do you have a couple that supports you? Are you a single parent? Like, do you have family that can intervene? Do you have, you know, again, institutions pay for that care? Uh, are you maybe able to um, negotiate the timing part? That's something I've been seeing lately a lot, which I don't think it was so much an option um, years ago, but I think that's one thing that um, came out from the pandemic, I will say that uh, a lot of firms have been a little bit more open to be like part-time, you know, yes. well, part-time. I think they, they, they really need to adjust because that's the expectation now. A lot of people are demanding that coming out of the pandemic that, uh, that we have that flexibility and freedom to be able to have mm -hmm. that balance and and yeah. the pract and the firms that don't do that are going to suffer, and the firms that do are going to thrive. And so they're so. And a it's a reality that I feel, especially mothers. Um, I, I will say more mothers than 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 fathers in general suffer, especially in the past, because when I was you know doing research for this book, 
one of the things I did, I start asking other women architects, like, you know, what was your biggest challenge in like, what do you feel that was one of the things that maybe slow you down at some point or, you know, uh, like things that may have affect your career path in at some point, maybe not all the time, but at some point. And a lot of came back with, it was related somehow to motherhood because when they got pregnant and, and some of them had to either um, just like step out of the career entirely for a while and then come back and then they were already kind of behind and kind of, you know, not up to date with whatever, what's going on and who learning programs and whatever. Um, and some of them had felt like this guiltiness of like, well, I just, you know, stayed all the time at work and then I wasn't really that much for it. Like I missed so much from the kids because when they were in this one scene, I couldn't step out of work to attend to this one scene. And so those conversations from before me even starting motherhood and after me with doing research, I realized that the situation before, especially some years ago, was very different, you know, and I'm talking about maybe 10 years ago or something, but things are changing for the better. And I think a lot of people are pushing towards this better balance yeah. between life and, and your, you know, personal life and professional life. And, and I think us as parents, this applies to both, uh, need to really take advantage of it because we get so immersed in our careers that you know not only with parenthood alone just life just just being present for your family and yourself even if you don't have kids just spending time with yourself and the things you want to do and traveling and doing all your stuff is important so i think that was that was one of the biggest things was uh you know understanding that you're not alone and that you need to build up that like grow your support system is my first uh i will say statement you need to grow yeah. that support system and and understand who they are and how you're going to use them um and kind of go from there what's the next step what do what do we once you have that support system and you and you find a firm that has that flexibility because that's something that's that makes the whole thing easier to have a firm that sort of understands that this is that this is something you're trying to achieve what what's the next step the next step is i think i've learned a lot about self-awareness and i i call this leading through self-awareness because even if you're not like in my case a business owner but if you are it applies really heavily on you but even if you're not, just as a parent, you're a leader. And just even if you're not a parent, you, like most of us, we are all leaders somehow, somewhere <laughs> to somebody. Um, yeah. And I think the self-awareness part is important because kind of knowing yourself and understanding where your strengths are and your weaknesses and identifying those weaknesses so then you can kind of delegate that to part of that support system that you have. Accordingly, it's, it's that to me, is that that key of success? Because when you try to put too much on your plate, on things that you're not good at, you don't enjoy to do, you're just kind of like spending time and effort into something that is making you feel miserable and that it might take you double the time or triple the time that someone else that actually like doing that will be doing. And this applies in the business 
in your career if you're working for a firm and in parenthood too. Uh, I give examples in my book on both, on, you know, how it was happening on my business and how it was happening in, you know, my motherhood journey. But just simple things like uh, there's this little quick story about when Nova was really little, she she was always a good sleeper, thank goodness. She will sleep long, but she wouldn't fall asleep easily. She will fight it. And she needed help. She needed to be rock and, you know, just kind of like do the whole thing of like soothing her so she will fall asleep. And I felt that I was really good at it during the day, those first three months where I was like fully focused on her and trying to figure out how to start a business and all that. But at the end of the day, I was so tired. And the hardest part for her to fall asleep was the last the last time when she will like sleep from like 10 to 5 a.m. or whatever. And I was destroyed physically and mentally. I was just tired. I couldn't do it. And I feel like I wanted her to fall asleep fast because I needed to rest. And, and it wasn't working. And the whole self-awareness to me at that point, which is this very simple example, I'm just bringing this up because it's a very simple example. It was me being honest with myself and saying, this is not working. I need help. And I turned to one of my key uh, pieces of my support system, which is my husband. And I said, I need you to be the one putting her down until she falls asleep easier at this time of the day because it's not working for me. It's I'm getting impatient. I'm, I'm, it's draining me out and I'm tired. And he was way more patient than me. His strength was way better in that part than me at that time of the day. Because I'm again, I was taking care of her all day. But he will come, you know, from work and just like, oh, this is my time with my baby. And he will rock her for like 10, 15 minutes if it was needed. But 10, 15 minutes for me was like three hours <laughs> because I was drained and tired. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Um, so that simple scene just makes such a big difference because while he was putting her down, I was able to, okay, let me have some time for me. Let me take a shower. Let me just have dinner and let me, you know, brush my hair. So like whatever it was, it gave me some time for me to rest and to kind of get other stuff done. And instead of me suffering through 15, 20 minutes of trying to put my baby down and feeling like it was just not working that's just a simple example but that applies to business too you know how many things i am awful in my business i don't this i have a small business and we wear many hats you know this um but i am so bad at like you know admin stuff i just hate doing all the paperwork there's so much if it was for me i will never get paid because i'm awful at you know collecting money things like that and there was that part of the business that needed to be handled somehow, which I had to do initially because I didn't have anybody and I was just trying to figure things out. But again, the self-awareness part, I at some point I sat with Jeremy and I said, this, this is the part when I'm thriving and this is the part that I'm really struggling. And don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with really trying and trying until you master something that you're not good at. If this is something that you feel passionate about, you want to do, 
and you just you just want to do it. you just enjoy doing it even if you're not good at it you you know practice make perfect right um i'm i'm fine with that what i am not fine with is if what you're doing is making you feel miserable <laughs> yes you might be even good at it and if you don't like it you don't want to do it then you need to find someone else to do it find ways to delegate that and the best way to get to that point to me is with the self-awareness is understanding that strength and that weakness and delegating your weaknesses to those who have a strength on that part and can make it faster and better and enjoy it while they do it yeah so have have a support system number one be self-aware, sort of look at your life and look at your support team and understand where your weaknesses are, where your strengths are. Uh, and lean in through that self-awareness. Yeah, and 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 delegate, right? And, and, and do the things that you're good at and that you like and find someone else to help you both on both sides, professional side and the and the parenting side yeah. to be able to help you do the things that, that are not your strength. Yeah, have you ever heard that um, real estate saying of like what's the most important scene location 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 right i have it for motherhood and architecture is delegate 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 <laughs> because we we do need to do that we have to there's no way we can do it this alone yeah do you have do you have a final uh step any final thoughts on, um, on the next I have step to actually uh i think um one of the things that I learned, this is these two first steps, you know, growing your support system and leading through uh, self-awareness are kind of like the main two ones. But then there's there's this part of that personal care and and uh, and, and kind of like going inward uh, in the process. Uh, I will say the third step is kind of organizing organizing your chaos is how I call it. Um, it's because I feel like sometimes we can take too much. Even if we're leading, uh, we can start saying yes to too many things. I think uh, that part of the organization becomes uh, kind of like a, a way to find ways to structure yourself to be uh, realistic about the time you really have available, the time you can give. Uh, I am a a strong advocate for mentorship and helping others. And I, I, I still, I have my business, I have my baby, uh, my family and all my commitments, and I still mentor. I still get time to to still give out of the, com to the community, right? But that comes with a, a, a price of organizing myself and, and prioritizing what is really important. What are the things that, you know, anything that will affect my baby's schedule or 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 like commitments I have with work, I try to shift a weight or or place around, play around with the time. Um and I think um I talk a lot about that in the book on organizing chaos because initially um I wasn't doing that. I was all over the place. I was staking too much in and it affect me, it affect my hormones, it affect my ability to even, we're trying for the second baby and it wasn't happening. And then it was something related with my hormones and and I got pregnant and I lost that first baby and I got pregnant again and a loss, I have another loss. I have two losses in the process before this, this one actually stick around. 
And the main thing that changed in that process was me understanding that I wasn't being organized, that I wasn't really, um, you know, spending time for myself and understanding that I was still an individual that needed to be taken care of. And nobody can take care of myself but myself. And I was forgetting that besides being an architect and a mother, I'm a woman, a person with with needs and feelings, individual things that I still wanted for myself that is not related to motherhood, it's not related to architecture, it's not related to being a leader and, and a mentor. It's it's Gloria Clutter. And I start being very um very uh strict with myself in certain scenes. And I and I share those tips in my book on how my daily routine looks like. Um, one of the things that I learned the most in this, and this is a tip for any mother out there and even dads too. The main thing to me that have changed <laughs> tremendously my schedule is being very respectful on the time I'm going down to bed. Because most of the time we tend to work late. We like to do that <laughs> when we're business owners. We like to do that. But I've learned that Anything that I haven't done be, 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 uh, after a certain time of the day, it can totally wait. We always feel that anything needs to be done by yesterday. And I've learned that other people's urgency is not my urgency. It's not. And we put so much pressure on us that, you know, it needs to. And we, I just talk to people, you know, I was trying to do this and it's going to be done tomorrow. I, I said I was going to send it by five, but I will send it tomorrow by 10. And we all will survive. And I try to dedicate time for myself at night. Um, in the mornings, that part of going to sleep at a specific time and being respectful to that and not extending like I was doing when I was younger, which I will work all the way to like 2, 3 a.m. if I had to. And, you know, doing that Steve Madden in two weeks type <laughs> of deal. It doesn't work anymore for me, right? So uh, being respectful of when I'm going to bed so I can get up at a specific time uh, in the mornings have made a, a huge difference because there was a time when my chaos and my lack of organization was happening where I will wake up with Nova, with her screaming. And then I was already late because I had to just run to her and take care of her there was no time for me. There was no time for anything else. There was no time for planning the date or, or getting ready for things. And I've learned that if I am able to wake up an hour or two before her and I get to do my devotional, read the Bible, you know, uh, do some exercise, uh, sit and talk, you know, read through my to-do list of what I need to do that day, take some tea or coffee, whatever it is, like, whatever it is, it's time for me. And I get a shower and I get makeup and I do my hair and I feel pretty ready, you know, and then she wakes up and then, you know, breakfast is ready. Everything is good. But if I woke up with her because I went to sleep at 1am, there's no way it's already a cycle of being right. late. And just so organizing that chaos is important. And I share a lot of tips on that and how to be productive, how procrastination affects you during the day, how avoid all those you know, things. And I talk a lot about that. And the last one, because I told you I had two steps yeah. was, I call it winning by grace. Uh, I think there's a, a, a tendency, especially in mothers to uh, be really hard. We are our biggest, you know, uh, 
we criticize ourselves so hard. Uh, we tend to do a lot of comparison with others, trying to, sometimes we see others kind of being at this point in their careers and we feel like we're behind because of it. Uh, sometimes we see other mothers with their kids being whatever they are and feeling like, oh, maybe ours is behind. Maybe where I would like to be in my career path will be here or finishing these exams already and I'm here. And I think it's a mental game. It's a constant mental game where you need to give yourself grace because one of the things I'm really, I repeat myself a lot in the book is your definition of success is unique. The definition of success by others is not what applies to you. My definition of success is my definition of success. And if I get to achieve that, it's what makes me feel happy. It's what makes me feel complete. There's... There's a lot of people that can tell you in the process of everything you might be planning for yourself that you can. And I always said, you know, other people's limitations shouldn't limit you because most of the people come from a place of their own first fears and their own limitations based on what they know and what they think they can do. That doesn't mean that it's your limitation. That is what you can or cannot do, you know. So I think being just graceful with yourself, understanding that your past is different, that if you decide that something that is acceptable for you is being able to spend time with your kid from 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. when you start work and then you get home around four or five and then from there you close everything and you're with your kid until 8 p.m. when you put it down. And those are the hours that you are comfortable with your kid that is success to me. And if that is something that makes you feel that you are not giving enough, then find a way to say, you know what? I'm leaving work at three. Can you give me these two hours? And when I put my kid down, I'm going to then work two hours after that. Make it work. Talk to people. And if, if people are not giving you the flexibility, either start a business or change, change practices, find that support system because your job and the firm you're working for is part of that support system. It's not just the daycare. It's not just the family that will take care of the baby or whoever is helping you in your career path, mentors that you may have and all that kind of stuff. It's also whoever is your supervisor, your boss, your firm owner uh, is part of your support system. They need to support you. And if they don't, you need to find a place that will support you. So... Those are kind of my tips. If you read them, they form the word glow. Ah, so, so that's where the architecture firm comes from. Yes. Yellow W. <laughs> yeah. So grow your support system, lead through self-awareness, organize the chaos, and win by grace. It's glow. Fantastic. Oh, people don't forget. Such great advice, such wisdom. Uh, what, what a story from beginning to end. Um Thank you, Gloria. Thank you for coming by and, and sharing that story, uh, sharing your, your wisdom with all of us. Uh, it, is, uh, it is valuable and important. And so many um, suggestions on how we need to make decisions, right? It's, an, it's something that we have to make a choice, right? We have to decide certain things for these things to happen. So thank you for coming by. Um, I have about two minutes for a final question. What's one thing that a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? For tomorrow. 
<clears throat> I think this is a hard question because it's, I feel like it, it can be answered in so many ways, but I will think one thing we can do to make things better for the profession, um, I think is getting more involved. I think more people need to get more involved with what's happening around us. Find that one thing that you feel you can make a difference. Uh, sometimes that means understanding your own story and like your own struggles, because there's always going to be people that relate relate to that same path and same struggles or similar, at least, that you can be of service to them. I think that can make a huge difference because the more people are more uh, empathetic to others and what others are going through and how they can help. Um, and that doesn't apply just to, you know, taking the exams, like in my case, and becoming a licensed architect. It's not just that. It's, there's so much. There's housing issues and, and, and just, you know, since just so much in architecture that we can do as architects that we can influence on, you know, healthcare and, and how people live in their spaces and experience and just kind of, I think it's that look looking inwards and understanding that you, to me, it's like my, like everybody's duty, my duty to give some of my time you can always give time, you can always give money, you can always give talent, right? But I feel that if you combine talent and time, at least if you can give money, <laughs> combine those two to give away and find, you know, in those areas where you have some, going back to the self-awareness, some strength, uh, you can make a difference in people people's life, either through their career or through just personal one-on-one -on -one mentorship with others, whatever that whatever that means. Uh, I think that's kind of, sometimes we might not feel we're doing much because it might feel like we're kind of affecting one person at a time, but one person at a time can have such a, like a, a ripple effect in, in, in us, our career and our society just in general. So that that's kind of, Maybe too general of an answer, but that's how no, I... No, I don't think so. I don't think so at all. I think it's a great answer. Her name is Gloria Cloder. The book is The Architecture of Motherhood. We'll have a link to that book on the show notes. Uh, her website for the architecture firm, glowarchitects.com. She's very active on Instagram, at Gloria Cloder. Go check her out. Go say hi. Go say thank you. Uh, Gloria, thank you. Thank you for uh, not only being here on the podcast but all you do, you, you affect so many people. You are such a fantastic leader. Um, you, you are an advocate for foreign architects, uh, sharing what you know there. You're an advocate for motherhood and, and architects and other professionals. Um, you are affecting so many people with the work that you do. So thank you for the impact that you're making uh, in the world. Appreciate you. Thank you, Mark. If you liked this episode of Entree Architect Podcast, please share a rating, write a review, share a link with a friend. That's how Entree Architect has grown to serve thousands of architects just like you. Please share a rating, write a review, share a link to this episode with a friend. I'd appreciate it. Links to all our sponsors and all the resources we discussed today are available at the show notes for this episode found at entrearchitect.com slash podcast. Entree Architect is a member of the Gable Media Podcast Network. It's the network dedicated to architects, engineers, and construction pros. Listen and subscribe to all the shows at Gable Media at gablemedia.com. 
That's G-A-B-L media.com. Go check it out. We have, I think, 13 podcasts over there now. GableMedia.com. And before we wrap up, a special thank you to our partners at Graphisoft for helping our community of architects make the transition to BIM with ARCHICAD software. Go now to graphisoft.com slash US slash Architect and see how Graphisoft is positioning to help make your architecture firm a success. Visit graphisoft.com slash US slash Architect to learn more. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Entree Architect Podcast. My name is Mark Arlapage. Love, learn, and go share what you know. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like, us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. 
<laughs> so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like, that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.